Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Ross O'Connor emails in Hello gentlemen Who could begrudge The 35,000 middle class Irish men and women Their night Belting out zombie The other evening in Paris As the team basked In the applause But for once Can we not get carried away With a good result In the group stages Please If South Africa Had a good place kicker And they probably will If we meet them again Then this would have gone down As another gutsy But ultimately doomed endeavour Well done to Ireland For coming out on top Of a battering occasion I just hope This doesn't become A second captain's audio bed Like that Robbie Brady go against Italy another good night for the boys in green that didn't turn into anything more because let's face it at the end of the day we are almost certainly going to get knocked out in the quarterfinals again have a good day says Ross it seems as though the sceptics remain to be convinced welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast hey guys hey, hey oh, fellas how are you I do have a couple of things Simon before bringing you in because you were part of the occasion you were in Paris that one Robbie, of the 35,000 middle class fans that Robbie <laughs> Brady goal did actually qualify us for the next round so yeah, it yeah. did lead to something yep. it wasn't just a pointless goal in mm-hmm. a group stage or a pool stage match there's a slight contradiction in there as well what Ross you say we're going to lose in the quarterfinals you also seem concerned about what's going to happen when we play South Africa again later in the tournament and that can only happen in the final Final, right? Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, there's just a few things going on there. Simon, you were there, so yeah. talk to the Rosses of this world, will you, about why they should allow themselves just to feel a bit of joy today. Have a good day, as Ross said. Well, imagine how weird it'd be after that game, that occasion, the atmosphere to just be doom and gloom and just like, oh, we're screwed again. Look <laughs> at us winning pool stages. Um, no, like, we needed the match points, first and foremost, yeah. because, as permutations man will explain later on, <coughs> we... Uh, even as it is, we're under a bit of pressure, but we really needed the four pool points. But like, I think the Irish team are sort of playing this World Cup and playing past World Cups at the same time in that we're just constantly dogged by our history, you know. And South Africa can shrug this one off as they did the same in the 2019 World Cup and won it. But for us, we need everything we can get in terms of self-belief. And we need everything we can get in terms of energy. Like as a journalist, as a reporter there, it was energizing. Yeah. Imagine that for a fan and then triple multiply that for the players and the connection between the two is getting stronger by the game the atmosphere is getting better 
by the game and I think that could be a big factor too so it's just the, the positivity of it it's the match points it's the fact that they worked out a load of things on the pitch I mean as bad as the lineout was, we did actually go on to pretty much figure it out. As yeah, bad as I, the, I am the still pretty worried about the lineout, though. But go on. Well, yeah, we'll, you we'll can still be worried about it, but it'd be a lot worse if, uh, if, just, they, just if, think, if they'd lost eight lineouts instead of just the first four. Yeah, but if you think about how you felt after about 20, 25 minutes, we were what three down. We had lost those four lineouts in the first ten minutes. Uh, Matt Hansen had missed one in the air. James Lowe had missed a tackle on Sheslin Colby. Uh, we'd given away two scrum bind penalties, I think they were. They were flooding through. Damien Dalendi had run through on Sexton. Sexton's holding his shoulder. Gary Ringrose has gone off. They were on our try line. Like, it was looking horrible. I was so after defeated at that stage. I yeah. literally turned to my wife and said, I was actually after the fourth, it was a four in a row line mm. The fourth one was lost. I said, we're screwed. This mm. is it. Like, you can't. Yeah. You just cannot beat South Africa. Yeah. Well, on, do the there's one thing I know about top level rugby. Yeah. Set piece. It Damn is it very is. important. If you don't have a set piece, you're fucked. <laughs> but it turns out, on that all of that is complete and utter nonsense. You can do whatever the hell you... I, I say forget about line-out calls altogether. We spend too much time... Like, we're giving the other team a break by figuring out what line-out we're going to throw. Mm. So I say just get it in there. Who cares? We might, sure, surely mm. we'll catch two out of every ten. And But it, we've sped up the gameplay. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's important now. We need to run... When we meet South Africa in the World Cup final, forget about line-out calls altogether. Just whoever gets up there first... Forget about even waiting for the hooker. Whoever gets up there first, just throw it into a three-man lineup. See what happens. Well, there could be a genuine argument for trying to keep the ball in play more and maybe yeah. not kick it to yeah. touch. I don't know. But the psychological impact, Simon, I think you're right, of overcoming all of that adversity, one of Andy Farrell's favourite words, is huge. Remember the just talking about the France-New Zealand game on opening night? I felt France had to win that game. And yeah. if they lost it, I thought they yeah. would have been in a lot of bother because yeah. there was so much hype about it. They're riding the crest of a wave. It would have been so demoralising. Whereas I don't think New Zealand did have to win it actually and I'm still more worried than most other people seem to be about New Zealand in a quarter final similarly with us I think South Africa can shake that off it's happened before it's literally have done this before they have no problem psychologically with World Cups and coming back from defeats whereas we would have been in a bit of bother I think if we'd been knocked off our perch and I hear it all the time not just from Irish reporters but from you know English South African Aussies I listen to a lot of BBC or the the Times one the London Times one they all refer to Ireland and World Cups and quarterfinals and that's the way other teams teams think about us too. It's it's not just in our own heads. South Africa view us differently because of past World Cups and the fact that New Zealand and South Africa have World Cups in the bag already, several of them, they think diff- They think long term. You were talking about this a couple of podcasts ago, Owen, yep. that uh, South Africa are thinking long term and there's no doubt even with some of their selections, some of their decisions for this game, they're thinking more like semis, finals about it than we do whereas we just have to win every game and not think too far ahead because when we think too far ahead it doesn't work out. We are chatting today to our friend Craig Ray, sports editor of the Daily Maverick in South Africa who is in France at the moment as well as Andrew Trimble who is sceptical enough about our chances of winning the whole thing mm-hmm. in our big preview. Not I would say the most sceptical of yeah. all the major pundits. It's not quite as sceptical as our emailer Ross there at the top of the show, but we'll see if his mind is slowly being turned. The first question Andy Farrell was asked in his press conference, Simon, was what he was most proud of in the Irish performance. Uh, our uh, resilience, which has been really good of late anyway, as you could imagine, but um, that was a proper game, a traditional game that they had absolutely everything and uh, there was ebbs and flows and ups and downs and how we managed to... Uh, stay on point mentally I thought was 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 fantastic the game was the game was never going to be perfect first half I thought we had the um, 
the rub of the green as far as field position is concerned and probably uh, uh, didn't ca capitalise on that a little bit but it was so, certainly uh, roles reverse wasn't it in the second half but how we how we kept our heads getting those couple of penalties at the end uh, when it really mattered is the, the big plus side of, of, of our performance. Andy, when you said the team managed to stay on point mentally, what does that actually mean when you're watching it in terms of the fundamentals of the game? Well, you can, you can get caught up in your own mind as, as, as far as um, of, of, of what's just been, you know, staying, staying present to, to focus on, 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 the, on the next task in hand is, is tough because it's, it's an emotional game, you know, you... You get yourself ready for um, combat, and that's what the type of type of game it is. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, a call uh, from a from a referee that you that you don't agree with, or a mistake that you've made, or frustration in in not converting a chance into a try. It it, it affects people in different ways, and making sure that we're able to. Um, um, adjust our mindset and, and, and get back on point for, for, for being present for the next play is, is something that we work hard on. It's not easy to do. Um, and we're, not, we're certainly not perfect at it, but we're, we're getting better. It's funny he talks about emotion there and not letting frustration get the better of you because you know, noticed some interesting body language between himself and his forwards coach, Paul O'Connell, his yeah. line-out specialist, Paul O'Connell. Was this, I don't know if this was on the TV, but... They looked... No, I didn't see it on TV. Well, Far Farrell certainly looked the angrier of the two and O'Connell seemed to be fielding the questions from Farrell. When was this? Is it half-time? Half-time, yeah. The questions so, are barrage. So coming, so coming off the pitch or as, as they're heading off to yeah, exactly, the debrief. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and, I mean, you would have to imagine it's the line-out. Um, and I guessed it was maybe the line-out calls because Keller is responsible for a couple of them, right? Yeah. But they all look to be going sort of more or less to the same part of the, the middle part of the line-out. Now, maybe those overthrows were meant for somebody at the back, but it didn't look like it because Ryan missed one, Ty Byrne missed one right in the middle there. So maybe it was like, why isn't there more variety there or a disagreement over their overall policy on the line-out? Um, or maybe that's the way people talk to each other at halftime when they're under an unbelievable amount of stress. Maybe it's like Andy's thinking, Paul, you know, we've, we've all been pretty patient with these line-out issues. Yeah. We, we're hoping they'd it's be It's my arse right in bacon slicer, <laughs> says Andy yeah. Farrell to Paul O'Connell. Tyke Byrne, you have a clip of explaining the some of what was going on with the line-out issues here. The way South Africa defend are one of the best defensive teams in terms of the line-out. We knew they were going to be good. Um, we had a plan... Um, you know, it just didn't go the way we wanted at the start. So we stuck with the plan and um, then we started to, it started to come good for us. So, uh, you know, that's sometimes you, you win some lineouts that, um, you, that you had a plan for and then sometimes you lose them. And, you know, at the start we lost them. Um, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't fold, you know, we, we stuck with the plan and um, that's why we started to win some lineouts then. Yeah, so Tyg is saying they didn't actually change anything. It's just that they stuck to their plan. So they lost those first four. Then the pressure on Keller for the fifth one, but it was a beautiful line out. And it ended up ultimately in Keenan tearing down the left wing and Doris knocking on as he got to the line. It's night and day for Ireland and we really do flow beautifully. And we got very little uninterrupted possession. But when we did, I thought we looked dangerous against probably the best defence in the world. So it bodes well in one way in that we can figure out even this defence but also if we don't get the line out. Yeah, if we actually get her, get proper yeah. 
proper ball we will cause some problems if if we play them again it's almost like people are assuming now that oh well these are the two teams that are going to get to a World Cup final you know oh, God. are Wales going to win it oh God can you believe that game didn't even get us to a quarter final yeah and Wales are like yeah, yeah, top of the table w- Wales happy as anything yeah, yeah. Sean Curtin Brian Rice others emailed in so a lot of people are making the point that South Africa should have won the game They, if they'd had a place kicker mainly if they had mm. a decent goal kicker they would have won the game if they'd had a replacement hooker they would have won the game and therefore we shouldn't be getting too carried away. I don't know if you buy into that one, first of all. Well, first of all, you don't get every characteristic into one player, into one out half. And I should um, say, sorry, the guys yeah. emailing, emailing are arguing against that, saying we also, if you want to argue the toss, we also left points behind. We kicked to the corner yeah. while having a malfunctioning line out and could have taken probably 12 extra points yeah. if we just kicked for goal. Yeah, I think with Manny Libok, he tore us apart a few times. He lo- he's lethal. I, you would fear as a defence every time he gets the ball rips passes off both hands has a sidestep himself has proper creativity has pace so he has all those advantages has to be able to kick easy penalties though the easy ones yeah for sure yeah yeah but did he only miss one easy one so Faf missed two Faf, yeah, Faf one of those hit the post and they ultimately got a try from by the boys yeah so, so that was another one where they didn't actually lose three points that became, there. they actually gained points three became that five there. Yeah. but this Africa coach Jacques Ninaber here on the decisions to go for those long kicks at goal by Faf de Klerk. Uh, the kicking at goal is always, I think, in all teams. I mean, if your kicker is confident, then he can go for it. And uh, the captain asks him, listen, are you confident? And he wants to take the kick at goal. We, we will. He takes the kick at goal. And, um, yeah, so it's as easy as that. Say, so if they are confident that they can nail it, they, they, they go for it. Like Faf were confident from the halfway line, he was kicking it good in the warm-up. Uh, he unfortunately hit the post. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, he missed a bit of the clip there where he he should have said, if the player is confident and the captain is happy with it and we give the correct colour light from the (laughs) touchline, then, of course, he can go for it. Yeah. It's funny how they haven't actually said exactly what they mean. They say things to do with injuries and medical. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Bulletins and so on. Why do they flash the lights when there's no injury on the pitch? (laughs) Seven-one split. Just just before penalties. The whole thing is so stupid. The 7-1 split and the bomb squad, all that kind of stuff. You did flag it in advance last week, Simon. Our World Service Mm -hmm. members would have heard you saying that our bench, if anything, was actually better and you thought that we could have more of an impact. I don't know if that came to fruition either. It was pretty close, I would say. And obviously their their scrum looked good when they brought the forwards off. James Ryan came off early. Henderson came on. Uh, he's a major bonus, Henderson. I mean, yeah. him at top form, it's a bit like Kelleher. I know Kelleher didn't throw particularly well, but they're almost players you forgot how good they were. Con- Conor Murray's another one. Conor Con- Murray was first choice for so long. He came off the bench, made... We're yeah. going to talk about James Lowe a little bit later on with Andrew yeah. Trimble. Conor Murray's another one who's a back, but was playing like <laughs> like a forward and yeah. making amazing turnovers and tackles. He, and to be honest, the difference between him and uh, Gibson Park is tiny to zero. And maybe there's an argument actually even for starting... Murray at this stage Gibson Park was was okay he's just slightly off his best whereas Murray I think is pretty much at his best which I never would have thought you know he was one of the best scrum halves if not the best in the world then dipped to this sort of like 7 out of 10 which was still quite good because Conor Murray's so good but you just kept remembering peak Conor Murray and going oh I wish he was back at that obviously slipped behind um, Gibson Park but at the moment Gibson Park just tiny drop in form and Murray at his peak I wouldn't be too disappointed. It's amazing. If Murray, Murray, Murray timed his run perfectly for his first ever World Cup to yeah. come out of nowhere to be yeah. in the team, and now it looks like he's doing it again towards the end of his career, where yeah. he's probably going to start and could be the scrum half that leads us to a World Cup. Who knows? The, the other one is the gap between Bealham and Furlong is tiny to non-existent at the moment as well. Furlong definitely physically doesn't seem to me certainly in open field 
like he's lost his leg driver there's just something about him he's mm. not as explosive as he was he's holding on in the scrums he's doing actually a pretty good job in the scrums but uh, when Bealham comes on you don't feel any difference I know it's fresh legs but he, he's playing out of his skin You chatted post-match to one of the Irish subs who made an impact Ryan Baird Ryan how are you feeling after that physically psychologically uh, yeah good good um, happy with the win um, really happy with uh, the support we got Someone said it was 30,000 fans, but I reckon there was more from Ireland there. Just so many green jerseys. Um, you know, it's an absolute honour to, to play for them. What do you think was the winning of it in the end? Um, it's a great question. Have I time to reflect on that? But, uh, Does it feel like chaos out there? Because it looks like chaos. You probably try to make it chaos for, chaotic for them, but you're trying to stay calm in, in that chaos, which is the most important part. So that's why we, we put such an emphasis on the mental side of the game, you know, trying to put teams under so much pressure, but also we're able to play our game at the same time. Um, probably what won us the game was hopefully, you know, and looking back on it was how we played our rugby. You know, we, uh, we have such faith in the way we play and, you know, and, and how we go about our, our, our game. So um, hopefully... Uh, you know that's what will come through but then again you know you look at the the Maui stop five meters out stop two of them actually I think um, so it was brilliant you know that just shows the character that the boys have that we have um, which is brilliant because you know it comes down to those tight moments Orgy Simon was just telling me last time South Africa were here they played they were playing France obviously and they scored them all in that exact corner to win the game and he thought and he said to me oh here we go again but no we stopped and so it's uh, it's good the pressure is off our final fixture against Scotland I've heard that phrase bandied about quite a bit over the last 48 hours or so but is it really? I think Yamak is out for this one Well the winners of all the eight ties go through to the quarterfinals Permutations man <laughs> Thank you uh, Owen Thank you for the floor uh, We're going to presume two things here before we begin that Scotland and South Africa beat Romania and Tonga with a bonus point. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair, fair enough, right? Fair, fair. Okay, let's begin. So if Ireland win, we top the pool, obviously. If Ireland lose to Scotland in their last group game, with two bonus points, we top the pool. So that's four tries plus getting within seven of Scotland. That's what the wee man said, and he's right. If Ireland lose with a bonus point, <laughs> and Scotland win without a bonus point, Ireland and South Africa will be level on points. We will still top the group, regardless of points difference, as the head-to-head is the most important and first criterion. So, even if South Africa are ahead of us Mm. on points difference, but it's just the two of us Mm -hmm. level, then we beat South Africa, therefore we go through as pool winners. If Ireland lose with a bonus point and Scotland win with a try bonus point, uh, then all three teams will finish on 15 points. In that scenario, points difference is used to find out the pool winner. Ireland's points difference is good, but if South Africa's is better than Ireland's after their game against Tonga, we're in trouble. Because once South Africa are announced as the winners of the pool, right? Yeah. So if the three of us finish on 15 points and South Africa's points difference is better than us. Yeah. If South Africa, South Africa are then announced as the winners of the pool, the competition rules say, and we've clarified this with World Rugby today, that it reverts to head-to-head to decide second place. What? So South Africa need to beat Tonga by the eminently possible total of 35 points, maybe less if we lose by more than a point. And then after that, it'll be head-to-head. So if Scotland finish on the same points as us, they will progress ahead of us as long as South Africa beat Tonga by 30 points or more, which they definitely will do. Okay, you are concerning me, Sadie Hearn. So you're saying, if, assuming South Africa do without dating to do, score as many points as they need to yeah. score, that kind of stuff. If we were to lose to Scotland... Yes. 
even with a bonus point, with one bonus point. If Ireland so lose if we, with even, a bonus if point, if we lose by if we lose by if we lose by less than seven, but yeah. they get a bonus point, they would go through. That is correct. Really as long as as long as South Africa beat Tonga oh, yeah. by thirty five points, which they definitely still will. Still a do. bit of pressure on this game. Turns out they're absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, we should beat them by. I mean, yeah. Scoreline, I mean, but. obviously, but I think a lot of people would have said, "Well, listen, we're, we're through." through. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it would take an outrageous series of events. Not really. I mean, it takes South Africa to beat Tonga by thirty five points, and they'll beat them by fifty. Yeah, and then. We get a bonus point and Scotland win with a bonus point for try scored. And that's like, if Scotland are going to beat us, they're going to beat us by scoring four tries. That's yeah. like literally, that's the only way, route that they have to beating us. Was there anything else? So you're, you're, you're saying, saying, you're saying to beat Scotland, is that what you're saying? We need to finish ahead of Scotland yeah. on points in the table. Points difference has nothing to do with this effectively. So we need to finish ahead of Scotland on uh, in the table, which means beat Scotland. Let's do it. So much good stuff coming up on the World Service. Thank you, Permutations Man, for your heart. It is. And, and of course, Bill Bowman, of course, for getting on the blower. Oh, chair. and listen, I do. <laughs> Bill's extremely busy, so um, I, I'm gratified that he took a couple of minutes to talk to me. Today. So much good stuff coming up in the World Service this week, including our big interview with Paul Kimmage from the Olympia. Paul spoke movingly about the family dynamics growing up that sparked his desire to become a professional cyclist. I remember at night, like lying in bed and listening to my father you know, raving about how good Rayfield was. And that was the fuel of my fire. And it was nothing to do with Rayfield. It was all about my father, gaining my father's affection and just hoping that uh, he would think of me in the same way. And that was actually what drove me in the end. And this is something that didn't occur to me until way, way later. God, he's... Uh, I miss him so much. I hope everybody is uh, as lucky as I had, as I was to... Uh, to have a brother like Rayfield, who was just a fantastic person. And a, and a truly great bike rider. I mean, he was a great bike rider. And um, just health issues, I suppose, uh, was the difference between me kind of getting to the level we both aspired to and, and him not. But, uh, yeah. That chat with Paul Kimmage will be available in full tomorrow for World Service members. We've also got the Ryder Cup to preview on top of Europe's Leon Maguire-inspired come-from-behind victory in the Solheim Cup over the last few days. You can get on secondcaptains.com to have a look at signing up for five euro a month plus fat. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. 
better. LeVar or Michael Jordan? Anybody think about no damn LeVar? Yes, they are. Owen McDevitt, Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show. Owen McDevitt, you're a cold piece of work. You're looking good. I know you're feeling good. Owen, you're amazing. I'm like, yeah. 2,000 podcast recordings today and the second captain's show in Ireland. Owen McDevitt. Owen, I like you and I like your style. I hear you in your 40s. And you're bald-headed. Let's just put it this way. You ahead of the game. Owen McDevitt. Hey, Jack Chapman, we're just about out of time. Been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, I can't believe it, dog. I know what 2000 is. And that's a heck of a feat. But any man, I love your style. It's delicious. I'm Owen McDevitt. Owen McDevitt. He's in non-event as far as I'm concerned. And you're bald-headed. For the first time this World Cup, we're chatting to Craig Ray, and I promise it's not because we won, Craig. We'll try not to be too insufferable for you today. Uh, well done. It was a great game. I, you know, Ireland deserved it, and I think it was one of the best test matches I've ever seen live, certainly. Uh, just the intensity, and you know, it wouldn't surprise me if both these sides are back on 28th of October playing for the Cup. Yeah, no, we're already um, getting ahead of ourselves over here on that score. Are there many recriminations in South Africa and in the media there, just in terms of uh, South Africa losing a game that they a lot of people would say they probably should have won if they'd made a few key different decisions? Yeah, there's there's the usual sort of fallout uh, over goal kicking, um, which is understandable and and it's a reality. The goal kicking wasn't good enough. Uh, you can't leave eleven points out there in a in a tight World Cup match. Um, the, yeah, that's going to be costly in, in these things. And then, of course, you know, both sides you know, made some mistakes. But you know, I think people get too worked up. You know, when you sit and analyze a game, you can always go, "Oh, well, there was a mistake. There was a knock-on. They had a turnover there. They they lost the ball there." You know, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens because whichever side was making a mistake was under immense pressure from the other side. And and uh, you know, I think if you if you just take a step back and get less emotional about it, it was a fantastic game of rugby where two defences um, absolutely smothered the other side. And the fact that you know, any points were scored was almost a miracle because those defences were so good. So I think all in all, yes, there's a disappointment about the goal kicking. But I think overall, people who understand rugby can see that that was a hell of a game. And it, it came down to some fine margins and, and Ireland handled those fine margins better. Yeah, I see the pylon on Manny Libok, who I think is a brilliant rugby player, by the way. He's an absolute joy to watch. He ripped Ireland apart a few times, like no South African out half I've ever seen at the international level. And it just strikes me, you say they left 11 points behind him. Well, first of all, Faf de Klerk missed a couple of those. The choice to take the long term or the long range penalty seemed like the bigger error to me than the misses. Yeah, and... Guys, I don't know. Maybe I give Rossi, Rasmus, and Jacques Nino too much credit, but I, I feel like, in retrospect, not at the time, the box are holding something back because they only went to the lineout mall in the last five minutes, mm. and they only had two lineout malls in the entire game. Now, what what is going on when they're kicking fifty-six meter penalty attempts with Fuff de Klerk doing the kicking instead of Manu Lebok, who hits beautiful touch finders? He often finds the corners and and going for the lineout mall. What? What were they doing? Are they holding something back? Are oh they going, my well, God, the luxuries that Africa have to hold things back. No, well, this what, this. You're, you're probably sounds, not wrong. It makes sense the way you say it. Yeah. The, the mistakes yeah, were I, so I, obvious. Well, no, just that why wouldn't they go to the line out more? Yeah. Um, you know, when they had that slew of penalties late in the second half where they could have gone downfield. Uh, you know, to me, I'm probably giving them too much credit, but <laughs> it really does feel like it was weird to me that they didn't go there. They finally went there towards the end when they were desperate to try and get the result and they were held up. But it, it was very odd. 
Well, they are super smart, like, and they've, they've won a World Cup. And I just feel like I was chatting to, well, not chatting to, I was asking Nienaber afterwards, you know, about those, just those decisions to take the long-range penalties. And how did that happen? Would he regret it? And he was saying, oh, no, we feel if the players are feeling confident on the pitch, then it's up to them. They take it. They feel they can kick it from 60 metres. They'll do so, which doesn't add up. And when you add it to the traffic light system, it feels like the guidance is coming from off the field on those long-range penalties. Have the South African media ever got any clarity on that exactly no. or any consensus on why they do that and if it works and if it's a terrible idea? No, they they stick to that same line with us as well. And, um, you know, maybe one day we'll have an off-the-record drink with them and uh, get a little bit more detail. Um, but they, they, they generally, you know, you know these two as well from their time in Ireland. They, they, they're quite innovative and they're always trying to be a bit smart. Um and, uh, you know, I just, I'm still trying to get my head around what happened. But what really, I suppose what did happen is they lost the breakdown battle. There's no getting away from that. Yeah, that and, was the theme in the presser afterwards, Craig. From yeah, and, and, well. and Dwayne Vermeulen sitting in the coach's box should have been on the field. Um, when they, You know, we all clever in hindsight, and, and that in, I include myself, I didn't really see this coming. But without Malcolm Marks, they lost a massive breakdown presence in the first half. And Vermeulen would have been that guy if he had started the game. And so, you know, that, that gave Ireland some momentum. So I think they're going to rethink the back row a little bit as well. I think Vermeulen might be starting from here on in or certainly from the quarterfinals in if they get there. The other theme on social media certainly was that South Africa were robbed by the ref, specifically the mall at the very end when they were kind of no. trying to root out the ball. Reinach was on his knees. The ref did give them a couple of warnings, but you could see plenty of refs giving them a chance to pass that. It was looking like, very dangerous for Ireland. It was looking odds on like a South African try. There's also the scrums, which I felt like South Africa were on top and yet we mysteriously got some scrum penalties from it. Overall, do you feel you got ridden a little bit by the ref? No, I don't. Well, I don't, but I've not sat and watched the full 80 minutes again. Um, no, the, the box got that more going. The, it, it went down. They couldn't get the ball out. You know, if, if the ref says use it a couple of times, and then I've got no problem with that. They should have been better there. Yeah, the scrums, guys, <laughs> scrum scrum penalties are usually, uh, some of them are quite obvious. You'll see a, a prop's elbow go down or knee go down or something. But generally, they, they, they're quite hard. Look, I think the Springbok scrum is, is pretty powerful. And it, it would be strange that they would have collapsed the scrum 10 meters in front of their own goalposts, you know, some sort of tactical decision. So maybe that one was a bit rough, but they were 10-8 down at that time. Um, you know, it wasn't like it, it, it won the game for Ireland. It just made it a little bit harder for the box to win from there. Overall, I think Ben O'Keefe did a great job because it was brutally physical. And I think congratulations to both sets of players because I thought the while it was absolutely on the ragged edge, no one went over the edge. Um, it was just the hardest, cleanest game you'll ever see. Shane Horgan has always said to us, Craig, on this podcast for many years that you have to, when talking about New Zealand, that until you actually go and beat them, they're not really going to respect you. It doesn't matter if you push them close. It doesn't matter if you're winning Grand Slams or Six Nations or whatever. Similarly, do you think South Africa, either the team or the South African public, might look upon this Ireland team a little bit differently now that we actually got the job done, albeit in a pool game, but at a World Cup against the Springboks? Yeah, I, I think so. Look, I think the team understood how good Ireland are. I think Rossi and Jacques would have made sure that was clear. And I think the way the Springboks played told you that they they 
they gave Ireland the respect they deserve. I think a lot of the South African public still is stuck in, sometimes stuck in the mindset of the, the 90s and the early 2000s when, when Springboks and Southern Hemisphere sides beat Northern Hemisphere sides fairly comfortably at, at big events. Um, I think this will have told everyone, you know, Ireland are the real deal. I think a lot of people know that through the URC. We've seen Munster, Ulster, you know, Leinster firsthand now. We understand how good the Irish system is. But I, I really do think that um, you guys watch a lot more Ireland tests than I do. But I, I, I would say what I've seen of Ireland, that was probably the best I've seen them play uh, and, and certainly their best result. And I know they've won nothing with it, but it still was a hell of a result because that wasn't a shabby Springbok side and that wasn't a poor Springbok performance at all. I think Partey, everyone over here is delighted with Partey's performance, but there's certainly the line out and a few other elements could be improved. So hopefully we can get sure. better. But just that point, you say that they, the Springboks would have respected Ireland, the, the coaching team and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you do have that theory that maybe they were holding a few things back for later on in the tournament. So how does that, how do those two sentiments tally with each other? Like, do, do, do you feel oh, do, do you feel they think that they would have they, they could have won the game yesterday without having to show their full hand? Well, I think they were they were probably trying to test it if they could get there and if they were hanging in there with without showing everything. And I, when I say everything, it's probably just a few lineout variations. If you go back to Twickenham, uh, the All Black game, think of the two tries the Springboks scored from the lineout there. They were both quite clever variations. One was a short. Off the top, Sia Khaleesi came around, went down the short side to Malcolm Marks, who scored. And another one was a short ball to a looping Quacha Smith coming around and scoring. They didn't do any of that. They didn't show any of those variations. So I suspect they were they were hoping to be in the game with 10 minutes to go without having to show too much and then, and then squeeze out for the victory. But this is just my theory. Uh, I mean, maybe, I, as I said, I'm giving them too much credit. But it just didn't add up to me that they didn't go to the line-out more much yeah. in the game they went to it twice it just didn't add up yeah you could argue the greatest weapon in international rugby anywhere is the South African line out and mall I mean to not go yeah, through, exactly. as you say just is baffling and maybe they are overthinking it but if they approach this game almost as a learning experience and they in some ways historically maybe not on modern form fear New Zealand more than they do France they may be looking at the quarters in a completely different way to Ireland. That's if either team gets there, by the way. That's uh, respect to the Scots, uh, which we'll get to yeah. later. But do, if if this was a learning experience, do you think this loss makes South Africa actually more likely to win a World Cup? Yes, I don't. I, I, I I'm but old school. I don't like losses for the. You, know, if, you, know, <laughs> you don't like losing. I'm not right. saying they. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying they sacrificed the game, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But. Yeah. Yeah, I just think you should always play to win. Look at Ireland. They're on a 16-game winning streak, 28 wins out of their last 30. They've got momentum and confidence. And I'm sure the Irish players step onto a field now not thinking they can lose. Um, and that's where New Zealand were a few years ago. Um, to me, that's the best. You know, winning is the best way of, of building momentum. Forget about all the tricks. So I, I don't think the Springboks will enjoy the loss. I don't think they looked at it and went, oh, we'd rather play New Zealand and France. Um, I believe that you know, they wanted to win the game, but maybe they just didn't want to show everything and, and they came up short. Yeah, I think they're, the fact that it happened to them in 2019 and they went on to win it gives them a cushion that Ireland have never had. And I always feel like people say, oh, previous World Cups don't matter. This Irish generation don't remember 2007 or whatever it is. But I actually think this Irish team are playing past World Cups as much as they are at the current World Cup. It was, it was more important for us to win this cycle. Yeah, far more important. Than it was yeah, for yeah, South yeah. Africa. Just yeah. one other thing, Craig. Um, it was a clean game. There was no high tackles. 
Um, but there was a lot of stuff off the ball. There was a reckless clear-up by James Ryan in the first half. There was another by Damien Dialendi on ring rows at a rook. Uh, Josh Vanderfleer had his hand stood on by Ox and Shea. Do you expect anything from those in terms of, I don't know, sightings or just a bit of a beef, extra beef if they meet again? Yeah, I can't see any sightings from those, but I mean, I could be wrong. Uh, look, the game was on the edge, right? And the, you know, Josh Vanderfly was holding Ox and Chair in and Ox and Chair just uh, gently put his 125 kilos on his hand. Um, you know, it, 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 on his I, already I broken hand, it should be mentioned, there was, a, there was some, I, uh, I thought I'm it was sure, broken, but I'm it looked sure like Ox there was something popped back in yeah. earlier on, dislocated, yeah. Yeah, look, that's, it's a pretty stupid thing to do, right? And uh, yeah, maybe the the, the the TM or the sighting commission will look at that one because that's uh, yeah clear foul play. But I think the rest, yeah, clean outs, guys go in hard, and yeah, sometimes they're accurate, sometimes they're a little bit inaccurate. But I didn't get the sense that it was it it, it was an ugly game. Um, and and the way the two sides sort of almost did a, a lap, thanking the fans sort of together in some ways showed uh, I think a lot of respect and and. Both sets of players knew they'd been in a massive battle. Simon is a big Libok fan, Craig, but is it writing on the wall? Do you think Pollard is going to be at sooner rather than later or at some point when at the business end of the tournament is going to be the starting out half? I'm a big Libok fan too because uh, I think he gives the Springboks a completely different attacking dimension. And he held his own in defence, to be fair. Ireland threw some big boys up his channel uh, to test him out and he and he, he just about held on because you know a lot of people say he doesn't defend as well as Pollard either but I don't think anyone went through there uh, so on that score he 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 did it but the reality is he's kicked three out of eight at the World Cup um, and you're not going to win quarterfinals semifinals and finals by massive margins well it's unlikely it's going to come down to the fine margins so I think the Springboks are going to look to get Pollard in he will play I don't know how much he'll play against Tonga. He'll certainly get 40 minutes, I would think, uh, to test his fitness, to test out all his injuries and his niggles. And then, yeah, you know, they get into knockout rugby. Maybe the Springboks revert to type. They they shelve the, the expansive play because um, I suspected they were going to go play wide on, on Saturday, and they did. Right from the start, they went wide uh, to that match. They really tried to up the tempo, which you would never have seen from Springbok sides a few years ago. Um, so by bringing Pollard in, I don't think they can do that quite as well. And he also he hasn't played a lot with the team this year because he's been injured for so long. So I think it's a real trade-off. They're going to trade off quite a bit by dropping LeBoc, um in terms of their style, in terms of their, the way they want to play the game um, for the insurance of landing kicks at goal. And I guess they're going to have to think long and hard about that trade-off. Craig, this pool is not done yet by any means. Do you think we'd be okay against Scotland? Yeah, I think so. If you guys pick full strength, um, you shouldn't have any problems there. Uh, so I, I, mean, I think Ireland only needs two two points out of the game anyway to absolutely nail it down. Uh, I can't see any problems for Ireland topping the group. I shouldn't think the Springboks will battle to get five points against um, Tonga either. Uh, so I think they, yeah, don't wanna, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but I'd be very surprised if the Springboks didn't have a bonus point run against Tonga. Craig, we may meet again later on in the tournament. We'll chat to you at some stage. Thanks a million. Cheers, Owen. Thanks, Simon. That's what Craig is thinking about things now for renowned Irish rugby sceptic, Andrew Trimble. <laughs> Andrew, how are you? 
<laughs> I'll try and um, I'll try and play up to that stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you were the one trying to keep everyone on an even keel in advance of the tournament. You're a little bit nervy about the giddy talk about winning this whole thing. How are you feeling after that result the other night, though? A little bit giddy, I must say. Um, uh, it's uh, it was incredible. All of the talk. All of the talk in the run-up to the game was 7-1 split and then probably more generally South Africa's defence and everything about that game. It was all about Ireland's um, grit and their line speed and their their ability to hang tough. And it was Ireland's defence, which no one has been talking about. So as much analysis as we all do, and we talked, everybody talked endlessly about this game, anticipating what could happen, where this game could go. I don't think that was really part of the narrative, um, which shows potentially how much this team has grown. So yeah, giddiness is is at an all-time high, Owen. Um, and let's enjoy riding this wave as long as it goes on, because it could be going on for a few more weeks, all right? Just on Ireland's defence for a second, I thought James Lowe epitomised that. He James Lowe came to Leinster as this swashbuckling freewheeling offloading Kiwi on Saturday there he is picking up even heads of it and dumping him if not dumping him at least getting him off the ground which is no mean feat making these great reads in defence turnovers in defence and using the left boot mostly really effectively and this is within a team that, that doesn't try to put the shackles on players necessarily but you've got guys like that performing so in such a way defensively I think it really sets a tone yeah it does and it's also a reflection of 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 you know where where he came from, the type of rugby he played, and the type of player he was known for being, and then the type of rugby he plays at Leinster whenever he arrives at the start, and then how the game changes, international game changes, and it is a different game from from playing for Leinster. Um, uh, it's even a different game. URC European Cup, you play Six Nations. It's a different game. World Cup is a different game again, uh, and I think it shows not a, not just James is, is probably a, a, an extreme example of this. But um, the whole team, just the ability to, to demonstrate another skill set, another um, type of game plan. They can stick to something. They can they can characterize their game plan in a different way and in a way that's equally pragmatic in terms of trying to get a result, but also a, 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 a kind of game plan or adapting to something that suits everybody as well and maybe just not suit them in the way that we've got to know this Irish team. So, yeah, and and even just picking up on on that point about James Lowe and, and the big hit on Netzebeth, it felt it felt a little bit like the Irish defense defensive effort was um, about calculated risks take risks and i thought ring rose was unbelievable at this he missed tackle he, he, there was a like there could be a low light reel from uh, ring rose but i think if you look at that low light reel you've got huge you've hugely misunderstood what he did he was so switched on he was so sharp he was so clinical he he surprised um uh, south african carriers and ball receivers he he just had such a way of thinking there's a bigger picture here yes i'm gonna be on the big screen there's gonna be a replay five replays of uh Willemse sidestepping me i'm gonna look a bit silly but he took one for the team because he got up he made good reads they were calculated risks and it didn't all go to plan but for him he's he was so sharp and it was a low tackle focus it felt like that was a bit of a a, 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 a team-wide focus but sorry Andrew Again, why, why is that a good thing so I don't quite get that if that he is taking a hit for the team but he's missing those tackles so why is that a positive he's ha- if you if you look at um uh, tackle statistics they will generally not always don't get me wrong every if every time you try to make a tackle you make a tackle you'll have a better defensive um effort but making the decision 
to to push up and put a ball ball player under under pressure where potentially they might tip it on you might force an error you might force them to step back into where there's traffic where you've got more of a turnover threat there's just huge implications and Gary Ringrose is such a smart defender so so switched on so sharp and he just surprises um uh, ball carriers with his low tackle focus as well and I just thought I thought he made really good decisions on the edge he put guys under pressure he kept them thinking all day and that is what South Africa have got known for and I thought they just got a dose of their own medicine they probably got slightly less of that all-out line speed and more of a just took a little bit off that but it was equally formidable but just thoughtful very very thoughtful um hopefully i've described that um okay but i just i just thought Ringrose. he's gone under the radar in the last few weeks but he was so so switched on it was such a clever um defensive display from him he's also proper hard these days like he also came through as a sort of fancy Tough. winger slash outside center and he's just hard as nails and we saw him come back on I know it was a HIA but I think he also got a stinger in the shoulder but came back on and kept putting his body on the line and also you talk about defence there and I, I agree it was the best thing about the Irish display by a mile um, and there's variety in defence too and that's what Ringrose does uh, like if you rush up in the same way every time eventually attacks will read that but he comes at different angles he forces the runner into a channel, so he knows there's probably like an 80% chance he'll miss certain tackles, but it's at such an extreme speed and angle that it forces the person to sidestep and swerve into another channel. And modern offences are about setting traps and guiding a guy another way, so then the likes of Tygburn and Peter Manny are ready to poach. And Ireland won the, the breakdown battle, which was what Khaleesi and Nienaber kept going on about in the presser afterwards, was that Ireland won the breakdown battle and that's the big thing they have to get to grips with. And the reason we won the breakdown battle is also because of the way we tackled and the way the variety of our defence. But I wanted to talk to you as yeah. well, just about when you separate yourself, and Andrew, you were there in Paris as well, when you separate yourself from the emotion and the crowd and the intensity of the occasion and the fact that we won against South Africa, is it just a pool win, one that doesn't even get us to a quarterfinal, or do you see it as more than that? <sighs> Yeah, it's, it's a great question um, and it'll depend. It's probably only a question you can answer in hindsight. At the minute, we all want to believe it's something more than that. Um, I think the rationale for believing it's more than just a pool win that could be irrelevant, uh, but hopefully tease them up for an ever so slightly um, less formidable fixture in the quarterfinal against the All Blacks, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think in, in hind- hindsight will tell. I think that, again, the rationale for this being more than just a pull win is the fact um, is the fact that if Ireland hadn't have won this game, they would have gone down from being the first in the world to the second in the world, second best team in the world. Now, uh, Andy Farrell has demonstrated that this team can cope with disruption. That I think that would be disruptive. They've had that... Um, uh, they've had that first best team in the world for over 12 months now they haven't lost a game for over 12 months so I think it would have been disruptive if they are into the tournament this big tournament that we've been building up to for years and thinking well we've just got our um, we've got our periodization correct we've got everything correct we've got kind of this this swell of support correct and if we got derailed by oh actually now you're the second best team in the world oh actually now this is the first time you've been beaten in, in 18 months 12 months I do think that would have been disruptive, and then going on to play um, to play France in Paris. I still think that Anton Dupont is obviously a huge loss for France, 
but I think there's more of a difference between New Zealand and France than just Anton Dupont. So I still think, even just practically, it's a it's a it's a better fixture for us playing New Zealand. But it more more so, and to your point, Simon, it's more the the feeling. I think it's the feeling. We have to keep momentum. We have to keep all those Irish fans in Paris partying all the way through. We have to keep that feel good factor. Um, and Andy Farrell is very aware of that. So I, I do think it was more than just a pull win because of those reasons. Mm. And when you watch South Africa in the flesh, there's something visceral about it. They test everything about you physically, obviously, but tactically, increasingly so in recent years. Psychologically, I think, in the in the mind games they play off the field and selections and all the all those other bits. Mm. So everything about you is getting tested. So when you come through that, uh, and we did the same in November, doesn't matter how tight it is, doesn't matter whether there's luck or ref decisions or whatever it is, when you get over the line, after all those elements of your, your personality and your you as a player are tested, I think you come out a better player in the next match. Yeah, I think so. And and specifically against South Africa as well. Now, there's there's something, there's an aura about this South African team. There's an aura about Razi Erasmus and Jack Nienenbar and Felix and, and, and everything they do. You always think they're up to something. You always think they know something more than what we know. Um but no doubt these guys are human as well uh, and we're talking about the psychological impact of Ireland on, on, on those guys and being able to cope with that and what uh, what the outcome will that be for them um, later on in the tournament but South Africa you know didn't manage to beat Ireland in Dublin last year they didn't manage to beat Ireland in Paris whenever everything was about South Africa no doubt if they meet each other later on in this tournament there 100% will be something in their head especially with that Irish defensive display where they're going to go okay well we absolutely battered these guys that second half long periods of attack and just hit after hit defensive read after defensive read counter rocking that intensity of that breakdown it just felt like our this Ireland team can hang tough and that will deliver a really impactful message to this South African team that it's going to take something very very special to break them down and they can't just you can't just break down this Irish defence like South Africa break down other teams by just pummeling them time and time again, even going through with even the threat that Arense, Valimsa, and Cheslin Colby, even the threat that they have still wasn't enough to add you know, a differentiation factor to that physicality and direct um, approach that they take. So I, I think Ireland landed a psychological blow, uh, blow on South Africa. Just on the point you make about the aura around the coaching team there and w- what they have with their sleeves and so on, um, Craig Ray has been on just before you and had a theory that maybe they were holding something back against Ireland that they would have that part of the reason they went for the long range penalties is they didn't want to show their hand too much with regards to line out moves and so on they only went to the mall late on uh, yeah I, don't, I honestly don't know um, if I would be inclined to, to go one way or another I think um, uh, that uh, South African defence they have a way of kind of demonstrating to everybody they've got an aura they know how to win World Cups they know how to win you know Lions tours and big big occasions Um but I, I think that would be reading into it too much. I, I think it's fair to say that even though they have all that um, kind of history of making just good decisions and being very thoughtful and being very, very kind of uh, intentional and really understanding how to get those results and those performances, I think it's still okay for them to, to say that they probably made a strategic mistake. Um, I don't think it made sense to go for, uh, for posts uh, whenever your goal kicker, both goal kickers are struggling. I think it's okay for us. <laughs> it's okay to say that they probably cocked up a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, 
they've got a huge weakness now strategically but um i think just every now and again that that was a decision i think in hindsight they probably would regret going to the corner and continue to turn the and um, turn the screw and up the ante in this ireland pack who knows but like that was there was no no gimme no easy way in there to to, to score points either um but the other thing on this so anyway that's the the kind of coaching piece I, i'd be inclined not to go too far one way or another they're not geniuses and they've got a, a lot kind of longer view in this and they're not strategically inept they just made one one bad error i would say um it was a few errors uh, though andrew really really yeah, obvious on, ones. like like somebody who never somebody who'd never watched a rugby game before would say why the hell if you've got the best uh, line out of mall in the world would you keep giving kicks to long kicks to dodgy kickers did they have the lineup, the best lineup in the mall in the world? Like the mall got turned over in the last um, last play, and yeah, uh, did it? I know. It, 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 I think it did. The ball has to be available immediately, and it wasn't available immediately. And I actually thought O'Keefe hesitated for a couple of seconds, and he gave them an opportunity to play the ball. Um, well, they also didn't have a special yeah, so I, soccer, I that, which, that, which you can read in either way. That's maybe why they're, they they didn't want to go to too many malls near the end. But that's also a strategic error, you would argue. And the seven-one thing has paid off for them against New Zealand and us, but. It is kind of weird that not one back has got an injury in either of those games and you would suspect uh, over a long period of time yeah. that would eventually catch up on you. Oh yeah, I mean, I, you can't, I, I don't think you can wait till after the game and say, right, that was strategically incorrect. I think you ha- if you're going to be honest as a, an analyst, you have to look at that and say, right, for all the information they had, is it strategically the right decision to go 7-1? You can't say it was successful against New Zealand, it was unsuccessful against Ireland it, because injuries are generally luck. Um, and they got lucky both times to be fair um, I thought it was is just strange that um, a big part of the 7-1 split is bringing them all on at once and this psychological damage that does to, to would, would have done to the Ireland pack I thought it was a little bit unusual that they kind of split it up so they wanted to have three or four moments of impact rather than one huge impact again who's to say whether that's right or wrong um but yeah, the, the yeah the the mall Ireland's Ireland's mall defense. I think Ireland's mall defense kind of summed up their defensive effort in general, um, and uh, yeah, maybe that led to some kind of irrational thinking around decision making. But for me, Ireland were going to be difficult to break down anywhere they went. Um, so it, it it's difficult to kind of to kind of look at that objectively. Yeah, I think in that final mall, Ireland probably did enough to put enough doubt in the refs' mind. Whatever you think about the fact that Ryanock was on his knees. Uh, trying to get the ball out Ireland got a load of players in stopped them all twice kind of swirled around gestured to the ref created enough confusion which is kind of what you need to do in those defensive walls it's not like a perfect science it's uh, you know 16 or 20 giant bodies all kind of grappling with each other so to say defensive mall is like something either get absolutely right or get absolutely wrong I think is incorrect and Ireland did enough to put enough doubt in the ref's mind but I wanted to talk as well about um, I was listening to Bobby Skinstad on the radio actually and he was saying, in fact, we lost our first four lineouts, which was horrendous, right? And then, mm. but then we got the next five right. And he was saying, that's more impressive for Ireland or more important for Ireland in terms of the rest of the World Cup than, say, figuring out in training during the week. There's, it's very rare against a team as good as South Africa that you figure something like that on, the, like that out on the run. And Andy Farrell, like his obsessive theme, both after this match in the presser and in general is that Ireland figure things out and just show mental strength when things go against us. And what do you think about that? Are you more worried about the fact that it's gone wrong again? Or would you look on the bright side and say, well, we did actually win the next five after losing the first four? I think my net feeling is worry that they got it wrong initially. Four line outs in a row is huge. And 
again, not, this isn't hindsight because I thought this at the time, but the first one going into the corner, I thought that was a mistake. Penalty on the 15, I think against South Africa early in the game, you try and get, get the scoreboard ticking. You try and get them. That's just a first step towards getting South Africa chasing the game and them not having everything in their terms. So there was that thing, first of all. And then I just think... Um, yeah, uh, Ron, but whether it's Ronan Kelleher, whoever's calling the line it's James Ryan. I know there was a couple of overthrows. There was a couple where South Africa, their defensive effort was so good in that line as well. Um, but that really does concern me. They sorted it out, but that, that aligned with, it felt like South Africa stopped competing or competed less well. Um, a couple of times they stayed grounded. Um, so that was really unusual to see. And I don't know if that is Ireland, you know, working something out, finding a plan B or South Africa, just maybe switching off a little bit or not, not continuing to do what they were getting a lot of joy from. But all that aside, Ronan Kelleher, who hasn't played an awful lot of rugby um, recently as well. Only, um, anyway, only the last, only last week against Tonga back in the mix there. And, just having a mountain to climb in terms of everything that's expected um, from him and he probably knows Dan Sheehan is, is maybe there's a little bit of a question mark over him and his fitness and everything as well so there's that pressure in him as well missing four in a row is a crazy amount of pressure for him to cope with and for him line out call or the line out in general for them to be able to cope with that it's not it's not that it is huge it's a big big demonstration that they can cope with that pressure and then just manage that game plan and then get back and um, to being confident around line out uh, ball as well but i think for me the overriding feeling is we can't no you would say this you would have said this about south africa you can't lose four lineouts in a row and expect to win that game we did manage to get through that game probably the scrum creaked at times as well so it kind of flies in the face of all of the principles of rugby if you haven't got a set piece, you won't win a game. Ireland won that game without a line-out for long periods and then a couple of times with a scrum that looked like it was creaking and that maybe demonstrated just how resilient this Irish side is. Um, despite that, losing both set piece, I think, they won the breakdown and they won the um they, they won the on defence. It was it was so it was big enough to override any of those issues around set piece. Yeah. We're an all round team now, really, when you think about it. And I was I was just thinking back to Ireland and in big games and it's kind of what we do now make mistakes recover and then win like we win in lots of different ways and as you say we didn't expect defence to be the thing that won us this game but it did one interesting thing though Farrell and O'Connell were seen shouting at each other at half time uh, it looked mm. kind of uh, Farrell looked the angrier of the two put it that way and I just wondered was it was it maybe line out calls uh, was it maybe a personnel thing where they were debating who to bring on? It was interesting that James Ryan went off very early and that when Henderson and Sheehan came on, I thought our scrum and line-out improved. Yeah, I felt like that as well. Um, and I, that, that could be, obviously, line-out, that could be one of three things, you know, the, the thrower, the line-out caller, or the actual option of Ian Henderson in the line-out. Again, I'm not sure. Well, he calls, um, doesn't he, Henderson? I think I know he has called in the past. I assume he called whenever he came on, um, or you know it could be as much just a cha- a new voice. Everybody goes okay, fresh start, and there could be something psychological from that. Scrum definitely the first scrum. You know, Henderson came on. He shored up that scrum hugely. I thought he added a load of bulk. He probably. I wonder if Ian Henderson maybe had a little bit of a point to prove. A lot of chat about Joe McCarthy in the run up the last few weeks. I wonder if he just thought right, I'm the right man for this job, and he proved that again created a huge impact but yeah that conversation with um with Farrell 
And, um, and O'Connell was an interesting one. I saw it as well and thought, I didn't think that at the time, but someone suggested, is he giving off to him about the line out? <laughs> um, it wouldn't be his style. I wouldn't have thought, I'd be surprised if it was that type of a conversation. It reminded me of, you know, sitting, having a cup of coffee in a French um, cafe on the Sunday, actually. And there was um, these two ladies and they were obviously friends. But in French, <laughs> it looked like they were screaming it at each other. And then they finished <laughs> with like the double kiss. <laughs> I wonder if the, the two of them have just got so That's just their level French of conversation just... now. Yeah, roaring at each other all the time. <laughs> it's very friendly, but they're just screaming it at each other's yeah. face. But there's a level of intensity there, obviously. And then just before halftime, they're rushing down. I'm sure they're trying to get, right, let's get aligned here on what messages are we going to deliver to the team? How do we be really succinct and just make sure we're on the same page? So it could be that as well. It could have just been the moment or the crowd or even literally just practically having to shout at each other mm. to communicate. So I probably would be inclined not to read into it too much. Are you concerned about what Scotland may or may not do in two weeks' time? Andrew, or do you have to see this as a gimme? <laughs> I, I see it as a gimme to be honest I um, but it, it worries me that I see it as a gimme I don't know what is wrong with me I'm never happy because I was really nervous about Scotland a couple of weeks ago because of the damage that this game could do and now this game has done no damage no injuries and we've come through intact we've demonstrated we can we can win to it we've added another string to our bow no injuries and now Scotland should be shouldn't be anywhere near the task that I thought it might be a couple of weeks ago, and because I'm I think this game is gimme now I'm worried about it. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> I don't know what um so I, I just if I I mean if I was playing for Ireland I would have nowhere near the same ability to cope with this the psychological toll that we were just describing. <laughs> They're so resilient, and me as a supporter I'm up and down and all over yeah. the place, stressed out. Um, but I, there's something about Scotland it just feels like their their World Cup has gone out with a whimper and will that make them or break them? For me, in the past, whenever Scotland are, are up against it, they can produce big one-off games, but they never do it against Ireland. Um, so as much as who we, we all know what Scotland are capable of, if they go wide, wide, Finn Russell starts pulling the strings, they get their wingers into the game, their back three in general, they, they can be a huge threat. I just think enough times against Ireland they have under delivered and not been able to produce one of those big ones uh, against Ireland so I'm, I'm probably inclined to think um, we should be okay Was there anything you saw over the weekend that changed your mind about the overall World Cup pecking order including, um, our, including our game well, well sorry well if we go elsewhere first of all um, Wheels have done what Wheels do better than anyone um, they struggle for form um, in the run-up to, to a tournament, but they just know how to manage a tournament. Be it a World Cup or Six Nations, they know how to manage a tournament. And any kind of scrap of momentum they can build on that and they snowball towards um, towards the business end of a tournament. I mean, should they get more credit for their win against uh, Fiji? Or were they poor against Fiji? Or how good are Fiji? It, it's, it's two different tournaments, one side of the draw on the yeah. other side of the draw. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to kind of get a gauge of of where their standards are, it looks like wheels are 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 taken nicely along. They've got momentum. They can they can win an arm wrestle. They know how to win World Cup games. They know how to. Um, it's a style of game that I, I, it really suits them. Kind of strip things back a little bit, be a bit more straightforward, and uh, that seems to suit them. Um, so yeah, wheels um, have probably you know pushed themselves up the pecking order in terms of um, who we think is going to be a, a threat to this tournament. But all of that in context and that side of the draw. Um, 
South Africa, I just think Ireland landed such a blow. New Zealand are a worry because <laughs> no one's talking about them. Um, and as much of an impact as DuPont um, uh, not being available for France for a few weeks, as much of an impact as that is, it, it, it's still France. And just, I, I still would be, it, the, the French factor of being over there and you would you experience this at the weekend, Simon, the, the the feeling in France at the minute is just huge. It feels like France are just this juggernaut. Granted, without Dupont, it's not quite the same. But I he'd be um, back. Though. I would. I still it's looking like he'd be back with a steel plate in his face. So when are they saying quarter or semi then? Well, quarter potentially. There's still no definite really? time on it. But um, you know, he's had his surgery. They're looking at what they can put into his face. Doesn't sound great, Sai. To be honest with you, uh, you just know they're going to find a way. They're going to find a way for him to play. I think. Um, yeah, I'm sure they will. But uh, and and to be fair, he is the perfect person to be able to cope with something like this. Because when have you ever seen that man show any emotion, any kind of irrational thought, or do something that's not just level-headed? So anybody else, you know, if he, he ends up playing with you know that um, all, uh Harry Nordegi, like that face mask, <laughs> they come and someone put a picture of that up. If he ends up playing with something like that, any other player that would impact them and that would maybe dent their confidence or they'd be thoughtful or mindful or distracted by it, DuPont just never, ever gets rattled by anything. So he's the perfect man to be able to cope with this if he can. And even just, I think, even as Irish rugby supporters, we 100% need DuPont back in the pitch as much as possible. He is so amazing for our sport and we all need a superstar like DuPont and the World Cup will be a shadow of the same World Cup without him so um, regardless of, of Irish aspirations we need DuPont playing Andrew being there in Paris the weekend I feel like the crowd will be a factor if Ireland are going to go further in the World Cup that if we were to play play say New Zealand a quarter final in Paris you're imagining 40, 50, 60,000 Irish and effectively a home game um, like it, it was certainly a factor and the players do a lap after every game and the management and Sexton say it after every game and they mean it. Like there's there's authenticity to their feelings on it when they talk about it. And I just feel like we were sort of robbed a, a home World Cup um, due to Bernard Laporte and all the rest of it. But we could actually turn this into a huge advantage as the tournament goes on. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, there's... So I was in, I was in um, Paris for the opening weekend and it felt... It, yeah, it just felt like there's this just just this huge swell of French support, and and uh, would you believe it? You fill the stadium with Irish supporters, and you get the exact same thing. Um, uh, Matthew Bastro turned around to me at one stage, and he says, "This this is like the Aviva um, in Paris," and it was it was incredible. It just creates such memories and such excitement, and that one hundred percent makes its way through into the team and Andy Farrell is very aware of that as well as much as he's pragmatic and and practical and all that sort of stuff but he he loves you know the, the feel-good factor of Johnny Sexton getting the the points record he loves the feel-good factor of um Keith Earls in his 100th game Peter Mahoney's 100th game is coming up um and he'll buy into that no doubt so he he's he's very aware that he wants the guys to feel good be part of a um just this, it feels like this movement and this this excitement and this swell of support. So, yeah, there was a huge demonstration of that, and the players play the uh, play their part in the pitch, and then the, the the supporters to kind of feed off that and then contribute to that as well. So, 
um it was it was very special on on uh, on saturday at the stade de france and if that continues then the, the, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be a real contribution to this irish effort uh to, to win the world cup Andrew, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. Nice one. Cheers, fellas. Sport is a great thing, Parik, and especially hurling. Our sport, the greatest sport that was ever played by any man. They're getting their award today, mixed with this brilliant blend of youth, fire and enthusiasm, and so chill for them. Clareman, rivals of ours all our lives. But you know, the Canberries go up around Crow Park. Dolores wanted their own, Parik. Magic, magic moment for them. Well, it's a highly emotional... Oh no, my stomach is burning here, lads, I tell you. We've been so... We've oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Who's going to win it, guys? Limerick. Excuse me? Dolan! On your fire! He didn't go to blow the onion bag off the back of the net. He went to place it to the corner. Limerick are on the brink of a historic breakthrough at Crow Park. Limerick better wake up here because Galway are back in the game big time. Proofed into the top of the net. Is there any into the drama? Is there any into the drama? Parry? And Galway are within one of Limerick. It's hard to watch. Oh man, I don't know what to say here. Could he possibly, could he possibly, from two, three metres outside his own 45, the greatest sport that was ever played by any man. That's oh, a massive ass. If you wanted one man in the history of Ireland to hit it for you, you might want it to be Joe Kenning. I think the long wait is over. How long is it again, the wait? <laughs> well, since 2007. Well, 1973 is the last one they well. won. Limerick have it! Limerick are coming away with it! Yeah! If the rest of the world only knew about this sport, this is incredible. Limerick have beaten Galway, 1973. And today, 2000... <laughs> There it is, Ireland's new unofficial rugby anthem, Zombie. Ken, you've been mm. listening to a lot of rugby chat. You've Why didn't you ask me about my opinion about the rugby on? <laughs> because we actually have that in the other podcast today, believe it or not. We start the football podcast <laughs> with your thoughts on Razzy Erasmus and his various <laughs> uh, should we have a methods on? for trying to gain a, the marginal gains in rugby, Ken. So I want to ask you about Zombie. Are you a fan? I am a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I first heard that song in 1994. I guess that was when it came out yep. mm. and then there was a few years when I never heard it and then I remember going to a UFC event in the 3 arena in 2015 Ash the Bash Ash the Bash used Zombie as her like ring walk song and the roof came off yeah I remember that Yeah, yeah. it was incredible I had no idea there were so many West Brits uh, going to UFC <laughs> events but there you go uh, really amazing. well this is the thing because over the last couple of days there's been a certain amount of there's been some online commentary for example this one what has Zombie got to do with Ireland the song mocking the men and women of Easter week and telling the nationalist people of the six counties it was all in their head sorry not for me but sums up an element of the Irish rugby support there's a few other tweets around those lines that people may have seen well, I mean, the, the tweets have just been absolutely incredible. I mean, I've been watching them just agog all weekend. You know, What's been gogging you? Just the sheer number of mad Irishmen and women out there. <laughs> <laughs> Cut down one mad Irishman or woman and another 10 spring up to take their place. <laughs> you know, there's nothing you, you just... We, we really lead the world in this department. Um, I mean, 
or like Dolores O'Riordan was telling the people of Northern Ireland, "It's in your head. Get over it." Is that is that? That's uh, the reading of the song. Yes, that uh, that Dolores O'Riordan was telling the children of uh, Drum Cree that their school was only bombed in their heads. Yeah, that's that. That's that's the upshot. I don't. Um, I don't agree with that interpretation of the song, but. Uh, what is your interpretation of the song then, for argument's sake? Well, the song is, above all other things, a song. Yes. Right? So why are they playing it at these events? Why did Ashing Daly pick it for her? Because people walk? know the words. Was it because she was like, you know, we need to, in, tw- in 2015 at a UFC event, was thinking, I need to make a point about what was going on in the North in 1993. No, I, don't, I think it was... I think it was for guitar reasons rather than political reasons that she chose the song. Yeah, but you'd have the same defense of people banging out Celtic Symphony and so on. Well, that they're Celtic, doing it. That, that, Celtic, they're not thinking about no. the political connotations of that song. They're just doing it because it's fun to oh, jump around and dress around of, and sing in that The political song. connotations of, of Celtic Symphony are pretty clear. It's ooh ah up the right. It's, people, like, it's a song a, about going to the match, but people of which a certain, culminates in a chorus of ooh ah up the right. But people of a certain um, persuasion up north appear to, some of them appear to feel that there are also connotations to this song. That's no, there, putting no, that there, point of view out there. There are, there, are, there are connotations, but like the Celtic Symphony is not a comparable song. Like, I mean, this is a song which was, uh, which was number one in like Germany for eight weeks. You know, no, but my why, po- why is that? My, my, point, my point is, you can't just write something off by saying, "Oh, well, the person singing it or the or the person playing it isn't actually thinking about what it means. They're just doing it because it's a crowd pleaser." Because that's exactly the same defense as people would have for Celtic Symphony. Well, it's. I mean, Celtic Symphony is not just a crowd pleaser. I mean, Celtic Symphony has ne- never pleased any crowds, as far as I know, apart from the political base that's designed to pander to. I mean, what's Celtic Symphony's chart performance been around the world? I mean, how many times, how many, how many people in Italy are going to go nuts singing along to this? You know what I mean? Like, for example, the, the more, Irish football team are banging it out and they're, they're not thinking about the, the bigger themes, but I don't want to be <laughs> going back on about the Irish women's football team in Hampden Park again. I, I think it's fair, I'm not comparing the two songs. I'm just saying to write off criticism of uh, the playing of a song based purely on the fact that the people playing it or singing it aren't thinking about broader themes is a get out that can be used by anyone to to play anything. I think that zombie is used because it sounds good and you know this is why I mean when they were using it in Towan Park you know it, the, it was because it sounded good. Mm. And that was I have to of, say Dreams is a much more stadium friendly uh, Cranberry song. Dreams is a, is a better song. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Dreams guy. Mm. Cranberries wise. Um, Zombie's a bit more anthemic, is it not? Uh, is it not the chorus is better to sing. can yeah. sort of sing along to. It's got louder. It's got a bigger guitar sound. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not a pretty enjoyable chorus it, to sing. Though, it's a bit of a plodding dirge. Zombie. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I've, you know, um, we're we're talking aesthetics. I mean, I would say the bar is pretty low for what's sung at Irish rugby games, though, and uh, it's an improvement. That perhaps. What were you going to say, Mark? Uh, Dolores did write "Zombie" about the Warrington bomb. Yes, you know, like, uh, like it's not. You can't say that it's not. It's not a political song. That's literally what she wrote the song about. But anyway, I'm also looking at uh, footage of uh, "Zombie" being sung by thousands of people uh, at the Falls Park at Fela Belfast in 2021. Yeah, you know, so- like there's, uh, you know, like it is anthemic and it is sung and you know there. I think that there is. I don't think there are ma- there are actually that many songs. <laughs> 
in the country that we could safely say after people the, know the words after <laughs> after sport after sporting events that yes people also know the words of yeah no I I've, look, I've got no problem with the song I like the song I think it's a lot better than any other rugby song we've done I just sometimes think am I thinking am I thinking enough about this are there mm. other communities that actually would have yeah. an issue with it and there I think people who are annoyed by the reaction to the Irish women's team singing up the ra uh, want yeah. to get annoyed about this or to give an equal reaction it's a counter attack I think you know but like the you know there's a difference Dolores Reardon is an artist the Wolf Tones are just a hack kitsch act right <laughs> who are pandering to a, to a political audience, like there's a difference there. Well, that's why that's why people around the world like the like these cranberry songs, and nobody outside the Wolf Tones. Well, the Wolf Tones are quite successful right now. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. They, they went to the top of the charts after yeah. the the mm. women's football thing last year. They were the most popular uh, act at Electric Picnic this year. But like you know, they don't think about the reasons why they don't seem to have much cut through. But again, that's just... Is it, is it something to do with the music not being good? I mean, at the end of the day, like, uh, if I were to listen to the top 40 songs in Ireland right now, would I like any of them? Possibly not. <laughs> but I mean, that's not to say that I, I, as a result, I decry all modern music and say that... I, I remember when Sinead O'Connor died, seeing one reaction on the internet, which was this guy going, oh, you know, she was symbolic of the uh, mental illness that gripped our culture, you know. He, he would be a mm. fairly right-wing gentleman. Um, and was kind of going on about, like, how she was this and she was that and blah, blah, blah. And was talking about her in a purely political way, like according to his own political filter. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's, this is actually what kind of part of what's wrong with you. Like, you're not, you, you, you're not open to, or you, it's, you seem oblivious to what she is as an artist beyond some political meaning or some meaning to do with like her message or her behavior or her place in Irish culture, or how people talked about her over, over 30 years. What about her voice? What about the, the actual music? Which, because she's a musician, you mm. know, she's an artist like the, before everything else. There was no, there was just no kind of, it was like so that was a kind of a, a dimension that he just wasn't picking up, you know. And I kind of feel like there's quite a lot of that about these days, unfortunately. And you get a song like this, and also, I mean, the the, the interpretation of that that Dolores O'Brien is there saying it's all in your head. You're imagining this is. I feel. Yeah, I mean, there's another interpretation that this thing is in your, as in it, it's. She's talking about the cycle of of violence. You know, it's she's, an anti-violence song, right? She's, th- she's talking about the cycle of violence. I mean, she talks about, you know, your tanks. Like, I mean, when she's talking about tanks, I mean, who's she talking about, right? I don't remember the the, the provost driving around in tanks, mm-hmm. right? That was the other side, right? I mean, she's she's writing as an emotional response to the Warrington bombing, but the wider theme is to do with the pointlessness of tit-for-tat violence. I would have thought in your head can signify just the all-consuming nature of the violence that's that was going on. Do you know what I mean? That that's what's in your, it's in your head. It's in people's heads the whole time. Well, you can, I mean, you can put different interpretations on it. I mean, there's like. She, she didn't give every nuance of the troubles in her song. No, I mean, people, she hasn't recognized the role of the state as the purveyor of most of the violence. You're kind of like, it's a song, like, you know, it's not. Unlike unlike actually the Wolf Tones, it's not, it's not, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, anyway, but I, I kind of feel it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. Um, Can I also say it's, well, initially it was like she's from Limerick. The DJs in Thomond and Parky Cueve, I think it was well, it was. 
and then it took off at the Toulouse game but it was DJs playing it and it was French DJs playing it in the French stadiums you know, it came on straight after full time in this one. Well, do, yeah, but do, do they um, offer they're, they're a song seeing, suggestion? They're just do, seeing what's popular. Do you have a victory song? I saw someone saying, oh, they, they picked Andrew Sandman for like a warm-up song or something like this. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it at the Champions League final. The team's like, oh, here's our little song. They played before, but not so much. I can't remember if they played after. But like, I mean, Colin Eastwood, the SLP leader, uh, the Stoopers, as they're known, makes the point... Um, Zombies 90 War song written after the IRA killed two children in Warrington. Stop trying to make it something it isn't. And stop pretending opposing IRA brutality is the same as supporting British brutality. Most of us opposed both. So mm. I just think it's like, you know, it's some of the stuff that's read into it. Or like the stuff that's said about the crowd. Like, I mean, this is like a big crowd. What, didn't it have the biggest TV audience by miles in Ireland? Yeah, 1.2 million people watched. I've seen it. Like, I mean, you know, I saw that UFC crowd belting it. You mentioned that crowd in Belfast. The Shelburne fans have been singing it for Damien Duff for the last while. Like, you know, Mm. people are reading this sort of specific um, meaning, you know, this is all about uh, Southerners who abandoned the north and you know they didn't realize what was going on and it's just like that's, that's Listen, not, it's just a sign the rugby team have met it let's be honest you know what i mean if like if if a sporting event doesn't boil down to us discussing the ira in this podcast <laughs> it didn't even really happen you know mm, yeah. the Ireland so, football final this year not a not a dicky bird about the ira afterwards who even won the Ireland football final this year i can't even remember on <laughs> that's how but that's how much just washed over us all and also just to reiterate the point about the crowd at a rugby World Cup game, I get the overall point about Irish rugby and how homogenous it might be, but at a World Cup game, it's very different. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Very different from Six Nations. Oh, completely. Well, just more for, of a spread of different. The Six Nations are in the Aviva on the south side of Dublin, um, a lot, huge amount of corporate tickets, etc. Whereas at a World Cup, there's a lot of people who just want to watch Ireland play in a major sports event. Yeah. For sure. Like there's a ton of GA fans, a ton of soccer fans. Literally every GA player from, I follow Way on more Instagram people from around the country. The just yeah. way more. A lot of people want to watch it on TV as well. As I said, Murph, one point, a peak of 1.4 million, an average of 1.22 million people were watching that in RT. <laughs> Jeepers. This is only the pool stage, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get interesting. All right. Editor at secondcaptains.com. If anyone has any emails on any of that thanks for listening today thanks guys thanks Murph thanks, thanks, thanks Owen thank you thanks Owen thank and, and thank you Karen thank you Simon. thanks for listening Paul Kimmich tomorrow which one is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those, those, those boys the second captain's world service it is not war and death and famine it's not that at all it's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.